1: Good evening, and welcome to Things Worth Considering. We are a weekly talk show, and we're all about connections, the ones we make, uh, the ones we miss, and most importantly, our own connection to ourselves. We hope to entice you and empower you and give you some things that are worth considering. I'm your host, Gord Riddell. Uh, My co-host, Dr. Alexia Georgiousis, naturopathic doctor, is not with us this evening, but I am pleased to welcome Linda Kushner, and she is a frequent guest on this show. Welcome Linda.
2: Thank you. Glad to be here.
1: Good. Good. Um, That was the right answer, by the way. So um. (laughs) now this evening, we are live. If you would like to join our conversation at any point, uh, please call toll free at 1-888-346-9141. That's toll free from anywhere in North America. Um, now, I guess let's start off with, first of all, um, Happy New Year to everybody. This is our, our New Year show, or post-New Year show. I'm the first one of the year, let's put it that way. Um, it's also the beginning of my fourth year um, having this show. I first broadcast on the 3rd of January in 2019. Seems so long ago. I, I'm kind of like the pandemic broadcaster. Um, the show is just a little bit older than the pandemic we find ourselves in. Um, but I have met and interviewed so many great people, and I just want to thank them for appearing on the show. Now, Linda is a registered psychotherapist. She is a spiritual director, a Reiki master, and a life coach. She's also an avid lifelong learner from courses to books to attending all the conferences she can attend. Uh, She's an accomplished instructor and also holds a position of Registrar Managing Director at the Transformational Arts College. Now tonight we're going to be discussing what have we learned from the pandemic. Um, As we're close to entering year three, frightening. Um, We looked uh, at a number of sources and we'll share those with you to see what they're saying and um, um, what issues you know they're they're identifying around the new year, um, but also with some of our own learnings. So, Linda, let me ask you: What have you learned so far in this pandemic?
2: Well, for me, the pandemic really highlighted what I believe that we're all interconnected, although we're not the same. And certainly our experience of the pandemic is different across society, nations, continents. I I did learn how important my community and my connections are to me when we had to go into isolation more than once.
1: (laughs) Welcome back.
2: (laughs) And then it affirms that butterfly effect, that what happens in one part of the world has an effect on the rest of the world. Wow, I learned to surrender, I have to surrender to what's happening, to uncertainty, work on staying present, staying in the moment, like all of our teachings, of course, at the school. Of course, of course. <laughs> and that's where the serenity prayer comes in handy, right? I yeah. learned I had to decide to call on my resilience, while at the same time incorporating self-care, whatever right. that, you know, would mean for me. And then I guess it brought me, like many, you know, to further contemplation. I've always been one to reflect and contemplate, look at things like purpose and consciousness and spirituality, the impermanence of life, right? Um, seeking meaning, of course. So it was another opportunity to go deeper and focus on what's important.
1: <laughs> there's uh, there's almost a resignation in your voice, um, which I find kind of amusing, you know, it's like, and to go deeper. Um, <laughs> and it's I, so ongoing. <laughs> it is so ongoing. However, you, you've been using the last last week or so, great word, before we were put into lockdown again, uh, pivoting. Yes. Here I pivot again. And I think that's such a great word because that's what it's demanding of us, is our ability, and that's the resilience, is our ability to, okay, today it's this, pivot. Today it's this, you know, Pivot. It's kind of like a basketball game or something, you know, it's like you're out there, you're moving the ball down the court and it's like pivot. Someone's in the way. Um, I just thought it was a great, uh, you know, just a great word. So yeah, 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 those are, I think those are important uh, lessons. They're, they're certainly repeating through people who are taking the time to, you know, to ask themselves that question, you know, I think, um, you know, for myself, I know you're going to ask me this. So um, I think I learned um, by observing how fear is so divisive. How fear, um, when people go into that state, really push other people away. Um, so it's divisive, not only in terms of our relationship to people and our connections, but our connection to ourselves. We become very divided inside because, um, because I happen to believe that you know fear contracts us and makes us look like get smaller and smaller and so we have like almost like a smaller space that we've got to move around in and you know fear just cuts it up even more so it's like it's a very difficult space to move around in and that's
2: exasperated by physical space right when we're isolated we can't go out we're stuck inside
1: absolutely absolutely you know Uh, now i think i also discovered that i'm much more of an introvert then I realized I'm I always define myself as an extroverted introvert. Um, in other words, I can go into front of a class or an audience and I'm fine. Um, but my preference is in terms of where do I recharge and that's by myself, um, or in my home or, or whatever. Um, it's not always necessarily alone, but it's certainly away from you know the maddening crowd. Um, that uh, you know, that's that is where I recharge. So th- there was almost like a almost like a sense of relief in the first while of lockdown, you know, it was like, oh, here I am in my little sanctuary, but my sanctuary got smaller and smaller, Um, you know, and and, uh, then that became, you know, sort of problematic. So I have to agree with you completely, our community, our connections are just, you know, so important. Um, I watched mine shift somewhat in terms of both of my brothers moved away from the city Uh, one lived just outside the city one lived in the adjoining city like you know Mr. Mississauga as I call it um but they've all moved up way up north now and uh um one's in the middle of a wilderness area and the other one's in a you know a little bit closer but still it's a drive and a half as far as I'm concerned who hates driving to get there so um you know I think I think my family all that's left is my niece and uh you know her her uh so husband to become someday when they allow weddings again. Poor people, they've cut. They've had to cancel their wedding twice so far. So, anyways, um, um, but yeah, that connection, you know, with people, I think is is really, really, so, really important. I have
2: a sense that that's true for a lot of families as well. I myself have friends who've moved away. They're they left the city. They said, "That's it. I'm out of here." I'm I, out of here you know, now. There's a distance involved, even if we could get together, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not like, you know, um, you know, when when uh, my youngest brother was was nearby that I could just like, you know, I could go over there probably within 40 minutes, say, you know, on public transit um, as one who does not have a car to save the environment and to save my nerves. Um, But um, now it would be close to two hours, you know, to, to get there. The other one's probably closer to four hours. He's that far north. He sent me pictures today saying, We just had our first major snowfall. I mean, it was stunningly beautiful. And I was like, so glad I wasn't there. Um, (laughs) So let's look at some of the people that, um, I mean, there's lots and lots more I could go on about. Uh, I'll maybe say something at the end. Um, That, you know, I thought maybe what we'd do is, first of all, because this is a medical, you know, issue with the pandemic as to what are the medical people saying? you know, um, in terms of what, what they've learned. So um, drawing on, on um, some people from Yale medicine, medicine experts to weigh in on uh, what they think some of the lessons that are worth remembering, including those that might uh, help us to survive future virus or, or uh, to be able to nurture resilience that could help with life in general. So the first one was, interestingly, masks are useful tools. You know, um, one of the things about masks is, you know, I know the Asian population in in Toronto, where we're broadcasting from. Um, it was it's not unusual to see an Asian person wearing a mask. I'm not talking about right now. I'm talking previously, and and it it actually comes from when SARS in 2003 broke out, and it then became simply part of their culture that if you you know, had a runny nose or a cold or whatever, you just automatically um, put on, which is so polite, you just automatically put on a mask. And that, in it's, you know, that's brilliant. What a good idea. (laughs) We don't do that. I have friends, I've had friends now saying, you know what, when this is all over, I'm still not leaving home without a mask, you know? Um, And if you don't feel well, you know, the other thing with the mask is, then don't go to the party. You know, you've got to stay home. I, I think that the masks, maybe if nothing else, might be making us more aware of being considerate. You know, there's nothing worse than like, I don't know, going to church, going to a, a play, <laughs> you know, and you hear in the background, you know, and you're just like, oh my God, I can feel it falling down the back of my neck, you know, kind of thing. What if we actually wore masks when we have common cold or when we have what will probably become the common COVID, um, you know?
2: It's certainly changing that mindset that used to be about, oh, you're going to have to go to whatever, whether it's work or the party or the concert, even though you're sick, you're supposed to, you know, barrel through and meanwhile, coughing your germs all over everybody. Exactly. The mindset. Yeah.
1: Yeah, well, I think that mindset needs to change, and I think maybe what needs to change is, is that employers need to be able to give uh, time off for illness,
2: it's Definitely. which yeah. which,
1: is not, you know, which is not the norm. Maybe if you're unionized or you have somewhat an enlightened employer, but otherwise, you know, most people don't get paid for anything
2: yeah. um,
1: if they're sick. So it's kind of like, well, if I don't go in, I, I get I don't get paid, you know, exactly. Um look at people in hospitality servers or or whatever, they don't show up for their shift uh, because of illness. They're they're not going to earn any money that night. So they're going to show up and they're going to like cough and sneeze on your food in the back of the restaurant. I've been there. I've seen it, you know, and it's very disturbing, you know, but they need to pay rent. They need to eat. They've got kids, you know, they have a life period. You know, um,
2: I find the evolution of masks is kind of interesting um, in terms of, you know, initially they almost became a fashion statement as well. And meanwhile, the latest is forget those cloth masks, right?
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. They're, they're kind of like, you know, the cloth masks or people wearing bandanas over their mouth and, you know, or wearing it with their nose exposed. I mean, I get it. I, my nose gets so itchy it drives me crazy, but you know, what is that, Covid is looking to get into your nose, you know. That's a, the one thing that needs to be covered: your nose and your mouth. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it really is quite useless. You know, um, and what night might uh, another one is what might become a new norm is telehealth. Um, that has been a major breakthrough in medicine, actually, uh, because they've discovered how much they can do with medicine um, uh, over either Zoom or Skype, or, uh, you know, um, a- any of the ones that are, are, are uh, recognized for being, you know, confidentially reinforced uh, for security. But, um, you know, doc- doctors are, are also getting people to be more proactive in terms of getting them to take their own blood pressure, which is easy to do at home, or even so much as, you know, doing, doing colon cancer tests that can be done at home. It doesn't have to be done, you know, with a doctor. Mental health is is really moved online, you know. Um, so the people who are really benefiting from this, other than doctors from not getting sick um, and their staff, uh, are people who, who can really benefit who are in rural or um, remote areas of, of, you know, the world. They can be anywhere in the world and talk to a doctor.
2: I'm finding that uh, doing virtual psychotherapy with some clients has been really great because I used to see them, and then they used used to have to travel long distances often because they also lived out of town and sometimes they moved further away. So now right just it works. It's perfect.
1: It does. It yeah. does. you know. um I, I mean, I know that there are some safety requirements in terms of you know making sure that we we know if anything goes wrong when we're doing it at a distance. You know who to call, what their emergency numbers are, what their emergency, um, you know, um, uh, services would be. You know, not everywhere is nine one one in this world. Yeah. Um, you know, and how to be able to access all of that for people. So, um, you know, I think it is. I think it's a it's a it's a great great way. And it it actually they they cottoned onto this really quickly and switched over very fast. Um, vaccines. They can be very powerful tools. Um, if nothing else, you know what they're saying is to motivate people to keep up with our, our, our vaccines, even as adults, um, in terms of measles and chickenpox, polio, things like those. Um, you know, we have to remember that not all viruses are going to get a vaccine either. You know, this is coming up on 40 years of HIV being present worldwide as a pandemic, and we still do not have a vaccine after 40 years. So something to remember that it's not there for everybody. No, for, 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 every, for every virus.
2: It seems yeah. incredible considering how, you know, we move forward so quickly with the COVID vaccines.
1: Yeah, yeah. But the HIV has just not been able to be uh, conquered quite yet. So, but on that note, we're going to conquer some commercials. We will be back in two minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Imagine a place
0: where ancient wisdom and modern research combine to create a non-judgmental, dynamic educational environment. We believe learning is much more than just theories. It is the application of those theories that anchor your learning deep inside yourself. You are listening to Things Worth Considering with Gord Riddell and Alexia Georgiusis. We'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca. That's info at spiritgrows.ca. Now back to Things Worth Considering.
1: Hi, welcome back. I am here with Linda Kushner, And, um, you know, the the name of this episode is uh, Looking Back Going Forward. And that's what we're doing. So we're looking back to see what other people and ourselves have learned from what's going on with the pandemic at this point. So Linda, what were you gonna talk about?
2: Definitely, we know everyone is not treated equally, especially in a pandemic. We certainly learned that racial and ethnic minority groups, especially, have had disproportionately higher rates of hospitalization for COVID-19 than non-Hispanic white people in every age group, and many other groups, of course, faced higher levels of risk or stress. We were told to work from home, and you needed to have a job first to do that. Uh. You needed to go into your, be in a house. <laughs> you need to have a computer. You know, otherwise it was not going to work. And uh, Dr. Juthani said that many people who were well off were able to do that, but they still needed to have food. And that required the grocery store workers and truck drivers. And, of course, nursing home residents still needed certified nursing assistants coming every day to work for them and bathe them. You know, all of our, you know, frontline workers, they needed to be on site. Right. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's kind of hard to check out groceries sitting at home. (laughs) <laughs> no. even if you have the job and a computer um yeah, you know i I think that certainly uh I'll, I'll, everyone is not created equally. I really want to put in there's racial and ethnic um uh, minority groups for sure, but also aging people and mm-hmm. that's and that's the number of, of older people our elders who died at the beginning of this pandemic is disgusting
2: um
1: okay. you know, and there's still, there's still a oh yeah we should give them another injection um i'm still concerned as to what's going to happen down the down the road you know i i don't think that we give uh you know elders enough uh you know hell they've been here they've done all this for so long you know like why they should be at the top of the heap you know in their in their final years, or, or whatever, just because they're in a nursing home does not take away their value as a human being in any way, shape, or form.
2: I absolutely agree, Gord. But unfortunately, you know, there's there's this um, approach that we have that we kind of put the elderly aside. You know, we don't even- Well,
1: you know what? We put everything aside <laughs> if it's yucky and yeah. it doesn't suit what we like. And I've said this before. If we don't like it, we move it to somewhere else. Yeah. Childbirth used to happen at home, but that's kind of a bit yucky sometimes, you know, it stains the sheets, the, you know, move it to the hospital. Um, you know, when we get sick, we go to the hospital. we getting home care, getting a doctor to come and check you out. It's hard enough, um, if ever, uh, you know, and then, and then, you know, as we get sick, we're in the hospital. From there, we might go into long-term care. Um, and, and ultimately, even, even death, you know, we, we ha- after we've died, we have a home for that too, uh, called the funeral home that we move bodies to. It's sure. still in Europe. It's done in the home. The body is in the home, you know. And so we've taken things that are miraculous, which I believe birth is, and I believe death is, because they're both so mysterious, and... We have just moved it all away. And now we we are a death-denying culture. And we're totally disconnected from absolute functions of life. You know, yeah. if we can if we can do anything from this, is to go back to being human. And that is to reintroduce these kinds of things. You know, I mean, I'm not saying let's set up a funeral home in our bed one of our spare bedrooms or something, you know, but You know, uh, it's, it's, um, we have so many sanitized laws that actually just create jobs, but it disconnects us from our humanity. That's my belief.
2: I'm encouraged a little bit by there are some outliers who actually are choosing to do things like have the body in the home and have the visitation in the home, but it's few and far between because it's hard to do. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. It's hard to do because they don't allow it. The laws don't allow it, you know, and if it's after this many hours, then you have to go through the whole thing of, you know, draining the body, the blood and, you know, formaldehyde and, you know, that whole thing. Um, Yeah. It's, it is, it's made it very, very difficult. You -hmm. know, Um, I think the the next one is that we need to um, be able to take mental health much more seriously than it has been. We're getting there. We're talking a lot more about it. Um, and, and I think we're doing a lot. I, I certainly applaud CAMH as being incredibly out there, um, which is, you know, sort of Canada's major research uh, mental health facility and training ground. Um, they do great, amazing stuff. Uh, I support them, obviously. Um, but the, you know, it was found that the number of mental disorders that were on the rise before the pandemic is actually surging. As people are having to also grapple with juggling work and children, job losses, isolation—the worst—and losing, you know, a loved one to COVID nineteen, or isn't just
2: it, isn't it like the second pandemic?
1: Um, it it is, uh, you know, in terms of mental health, it is. It is. I think that you know one of the other ones they identify as being, um, you know, sort of the big pandemic is loneliness. Yeah. And loneliness has a has a, a huge, huge, uh, you know, uh, function on our immune system, and there, this is this is absolutely, you know, backed by all kinds of studies. Um, that, you know, it found that, you know, this the immune system is suppressed, and that then becomes a precursor to some diseases. You know, um, even introverted people like me, um, even the smallest circle is preferable to no circle at all. You know um when you know when i think of people um sitting by themselves who can't leave for whatever reason their home maybe it's under order but probably not they choose not to um i don't think there was a lot of reaching out around this you know i mean i know see i live in a condo it's supposed to be a community it's not it's like okay everybody lock your doors um you know, it's like, check on check on the people who live alone and see if they need anything. No one's going to open up the door if you knock on it. What do you want? We're not supposed to take, let people in. Um, I really didn't want to come in. Um, so, I mean, that, that whole thing of, you know, helping out and so on, I'm sure that there are people that do. But I think that more people, and that's the fear piece, more people are hunkered down in their isolation and, and experiencing that loneliness. And it's not, it's not a very pleasant thing for anyone to have to go through.
2: I certainly you know. found that in my neighborhood, too, that um, there wasn't a lot of reaching out. I mean, I reached out to the people that I knew, the other people I didn't know. Um, some of them, finally, when I was looking for a lost cat, I was able to knock on some <laughs> <them> doors.
1: <laughs> Give me and, my cat.
2: <laughs> <laughs> not my cat, but someone else's. Um, right. But but there tends to be that kind of insular sort of um tendency, even even in you know neighborhoods.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that this is um perhaps more of an urban issue. Um it always has been an urban issue, you know. It's like there's no lonelier place to be than in a city of 10 million people, uh, you know, and not know anybody. Um, but you know, when when I think back on stories that I I was told by grandparents and parents and so on of during the war, during the war over in, in uh, you know in Britain, how they, you know, helped out, they pitched in, they did things for people. Um, uh, even the way that my my grandparents and parents were was always if someone was in need, they were there, you know, and I'm not seeing that anymore. You know, I'm not seeing that model that they talk to me about. You know, or at least they showed to me, you know, uh, through through their behavior. So um, I think that there's a real. You're right. You're absolutely right. And I think fear plays a huge role in that. You know, fear really does play a huge role in that. Um, of how, you know, it's hard to reach out. Yet in reaching out and connecting, there is so much healing instantly done. There's such a relief because that you are not all alone you know, it begins to just simply be taken away.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: You know, so um, we have the capacity for resilience. Who knew? Uh, um, resilience is really, it's something we can learn. You know, um, uh, some some kids are more resilient. You see them, they're born with it and, and so on. Um, but it really is something that we can learn. Even the smallest changes are, you know, can be used, you know, highly effective tools in creating resilience. So changes that they suggest, it sounds like all the same old advice, but it's like exercise a little, eat healthy food, uh, cut back on alcohol. Alcohol is so destructive. It really is so destructive. Um, when, and, and, and unfortunately, we're seeing right across North America, you know, an increase in alcohol use and substances as well. Um start a meditation practice, keeping up with family and friends on Zoom, you know, all of those kinds of little things. Um, And there has been so much research done on every single one of these items, what good food does to you, what meditation can do, what walking can do. doesn't mean going to a gym, just going walking, you know, get a puppy, take your dog for a walk, you know, have a child, take your child for a walk, you know, but um, I think anything like that is, is, um, goes towards creating that resilience.
2: What what I found interesting, Gord, was that idea that because our ancestors went through hard times like war, you know, you know horrible conditions, that yeah. resilience is actually inherent in us. It, it kind of runs through our ancestral lineage. And it's, it's about accessing it, that it's there.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I believe that 100%. You know, so yeah, it's like opening it up. And, and uh, it's kind of like intuition. Everybody's got it, it ain't no gift. Everybody's got it, but some yeah. people it's more on the surface than others. You know, mm-hmm. we we just need to open that up more.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, community is essential, but then so is technology. You know, so this isn't about not being, not having technology or anything. Um, it's just that so much has been, been you know, we become so aware that we really need other people. We really do. You know, that is what gives us the 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 wherewithal, our mental health, in turn, physical health. Because if your mental health isn't so good, probably your physical health is going to deteriorate as well. You know, um, it's hard to be, like, really, really healthy in your body and not and, and really unhealthy in your mind, but, uh, because they they will they will go against each other. Actually, um, you know, uh, people who have managed to maintain their social connections, even if it's by use of technology, at least they've kept in touch somehow. You know, my experience is the longer this has gone on, um, the more and more we're not staying in touch. It just becomes like one more thing we've got to do. You know, or you don't feel like, you know, uh, spending an hour on Zoom, you know, with, uh, with your friends or, or whatever. You can reduce it. You know, people say, I don't have an hour to talk to people every night. Well, you don't have to make it an hour, you know, uh, or have a, have a Friday night gathering and have a little wine and cheese and a, a wine, a W-H-I-N-E party, you know, where you might have four or six or ten of your friends online together. You know, there's all kinds of Zoom parties happen like that. You know, I thought when I first heard about that way back when, uh, I thought, oh, that's kind of clever. Um, you know, getting a group of people together. Um, one of my friends, their family gets together instead of because they can't do the Sunday dinner, they do a Sunday afternoon Zoom.
2: Yeah, I have a friend, uh, they they're all over the states and and Canada. It's a large family, and that's what what they do basically. Sundays are time to get together. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, and they just Zoom, and uh, uh, they probably, uh, my friend said, Dad, it's, they're probably closer now than they've ever been. Mm-hmm. Because it was like whoever could show up in real life or, you know, whatever. You know, so um, anything that we can do to fight, you know, um, fight that loneliness piece. We need our
2: tribe. We need our tribe.
1: We need our tribe. Absolutely. Yeah. And We all have different tribes from different places, and that's all cool. Yeah. Um, what else changed? Uh, faith traditions. Wow, when the churches were closed down, a whole lot of people were like, "Now what do we do?" Because we've associated our faith to a building, to a structure, um, you know, even even to hospital bed visits. All of those things are now being done virtually. You know, churches have become very innovative in having services online, uh, whether it's broadcasting or whether it's it's doing a, you know a Zoom a zoom call or whatever meditations are being done online uh, as we did at the school um, and still are uh, from time to time. Uh, But, you know, it, 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 a lot of people just to, to become more innovative. I think in, in how do we practice our spirituality, you know? Um, Now often, often, you know, sort of like the high, the high holidays like Passover and Easter and Ramadan, you know, those are occasions when the community normally assembles in a solitary building. But, you know, marriage, funerals, all that stuff, we've learned to do it differently.
2: In a way, um, those gatherings have become more inclusive, right?
1: Yeah, they have. They have. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because it's not like uh, who can walk through the door or get there. You know, anybody anywhere can be be tied into it, you know. Um, So I think that you know, practicing our our spiritual tradition, whatever that might be, um, we've been able to become very very innovative, including meeting outdoors. You know, lots lots of places have when in in season, not tonight. Um, is uh, unless you're one a, a member of the polar bear club, um, that you know it's uh, it's possible to be inclusive and, and form community that includes outdoors outdoors green spaces wow we're really discovering how important they are you know mm-hmm. what is yeah. they're one of the safe places they're one of the safe places they keep saying you can meet outdoors you can have way more people outdoors than indoors all right because of the respiratory nature of, of this pandemic but um you know we we don't have tons of trees and and so on in some cities you know they're really that really is focused a, a really, you know, onto a really big problem um, that goes way beyond just this, this current crisis. Um, and that is, is that green spaces positively impact our health in a very positive way.
2: I saw the research that says that for places that are, um, you know, luxurious in their green spaces, they physically, you have less diabetes, less stroke and less heart disease. In those kinds of neighborhoods. And then another study that showed that 50 minutes in a green space improves your working memory and attention capacity by 20 percent.
1: Okay, I need to go into a green space right now. (laughs) 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 However, uh, what we're going to do instead is take a commercial. You're listening to Things Worth Considering with Linda Kushner and Gord Riddell. We'll be back right after this break.
2: America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play
1: Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Imagine a place where
0: ancient wisdom and modern research combine to create a non judgmental, dynamic educational environment. We believe learning is much more than just theories, it is the application of those theories that anchor your learning deep inside yourself.
1: It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com.
0: You are listening to Things Worth Considering with Gord Riddell and Alexia Georgiousis. We'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca. That's info at spiritgrows.ca. Now back to Things Worth
1: Considering. Hi, welcome back. And you're listening to Things Worth Considering. Uh, this is Cord Dell. I'm here with Linda Kushner. Um, so we're going to um, go over some things that, you know, we've, we've kind of covered some, some pretty major areas. This is pulling a little tighter, hopefully, that these are things we really need to be aware of. Um, that we have learned, and it, just because we've learned, it doesn't mean that it's, it's gotten better, but things that need to stay w- way at the beginning, what is it, not on the back burner, but on the front burner um, that need to be fixed uh, in our society. So the pandemic has exposed and worsened underlying inequalities in our healthcare system and society at large, um, as seen with higher rates of COVID-19 infection and death in communities of color. Uh, the crisis has also deepened that economic divide. There's no question about that. We've learned, you know. Um, uh, you know, I think that was probably one of the most important elements that came out of that was it really blew the whole thing of racism uh, um, and and the systemic nature of racism right up to the top of the heap, you know, uh, which I was very, very happy it to see. It just can't
2: be ignored anymore. It can't be. No. It
1: can't be, you know. Um, the pandemic has revealed the consequences of underinvestment in our public health prevention, Uh, slow and incomplete public health mandates um, has led to uh, ERs being overcrowded and unnecessary deaths taking place. Um, In the same way that slow and incomplete public health mandates led to long-term care facilities being overlooked and underfunded and many, many, many unnecessary deaths. You know, I think that's probably one of the saddest elements of this whole thing is, is what happened to our elders. Um, pandemic, you know, is the result of a fragmented and politicized public health response in a hyperconnected nation and globe and an absence of leadership at the top. In other words, healthcare became politicized. And that is like the worst thing that makes me want to scream when I hear some of the our, our so-called leaders who come wandering back after, you know, they've had Christmas and New Year's, wherever they hit out, you know, and then say, okay, we're going to do another lockdown. They're not calling it that. They're doing a clampdown. Um, but I don't care what it's called. The fact is that politics... Should never, ever, ever have entered into this. This is a health issue. It is not a political
2: issue. It's that it's that reluctance to fund healthcare adequately. We know it needs funding. We know that the nurses, you know, were starting to leave Canada before the pandemic. Oh, right? long
1: before. Yeah. And doctors, yeah. and doctors,
2: and doctors. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. and uh, it just it's just not taken seriously enough that this is one of the most important areas of our life.
1: It is our life. Yeah. Literally. It can mm-hmm. be. Literally, yeah. it can be our life, you know. Uh, but I I think that when the politicization of healthcare is when the economics of a big business becomes more important than our kids. So here are kids like, nope, let's get them back into school. They need to be in school. Well, wow, you know, we had our first under four year old die of COVID. You know, mm-hmm. today or yesterday, uh, you know, children are being, you know, infected because they've been in school. So, you know, I think that ego, there's just no place for ego. There just is not in healthcare. Uh, humility can be a very good learning tool. Um, the pandemic demonstrated the damage that is wrought by poor communication and misinformation. Falsehoods about vaccine safety, the origins of the virus were pervasive. The latter fueled discrimination against Asians, you know, because somebody at the top kept saying it was the Chinese virus. Disgusting.
2: Very disgusting.
1: Totally disgusting. Uh, and it has, and, and uh, I know that uh, Chinese or Asian Asian individuals have definitely been targeted you know, both in Canada and in the US um, for as you know, what, inventing a virus or something? I mean, there's all kinds of bullshit out there. Um, And that's exactly what it is. It's misinformation um, that we can't, we just can't do that. We can't allow it to be done. You know, the pandemic shows that these kinds of illnesses can inflict long-term damage on physical and mental health some of which may not yet even be fully understood. People who have what they call long COVID, uh, who suffer months and months later with, uh, you know, all kinds of things like headaches and and so on. Uh, The the long-haul syndrome, uh, suffering persistent debilitating dizziness, forgetfulness, fatigue, you know. Uh, This isn't like a... Just a, a lighter thing. We don't know yet, for instance, what's happening right now in terms of how does that affect long-term. We know people aren't dying as quickly. We know that people are are going to the hospital. Uh that that is is definitely a huge issue. An awful lot of people all at once going to the hospital is what is, you know, overwhelming us. Um, you know, the pandemic showed how hard-hit communities can be resilient through collective mobilization and mutual aid and that's sort of what i mentioned earlier on that local communities rally to help those in need such as through food banks and through community refrigerators i love the idea of the community refrigerator when they appeared in town you know you could you could take something out of the refrigerator and then when you can you go and you put something back in the refrigerator so so in the middle of summer you still had things like you know, being able to do dairy and 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 you know lettuce and all the kinds of stuff that would kind of wilt if it wasn't kept in a cooler environment. Um I'm
2: were not that stores. familiar with the community refrigerators. Where <clears throat> were they?
1: They were in front of stores. You know, people would put a refrigerator out and you know, put things in it, and then you just came along and you helped yourself. And you know, or if you were taking one thing out, you put something else back in. You know, it was all it was it was uh Free, it, you know, there was no, and if you couldn't, you couldn't, you know. Uh, but a lot more people were fed this way. Um, it didn't have the same kind of lineups that could happen at food banks, you know, or the registering at the food bank and, and sort of thing. There were no questions asked in the in the communities that had these, uh, and in Toronto had them. I mean, uh, I, I saw them in Toronto here, the community refrigerator. Nobody, nobody's asking you to to register and show how much money you make as to whether you can you know, qualify to use the food bank. Uh, I think that that could be a little bit humiliating and shaming for people. Sure. Um, you know, it's, a, it's demonstrated that school closures, job loss, isolation, strain, mental and physical health. You now, on the other side of that, though, is that some businesses and schools have found ways to reinvent themselves. Probably the biggest one is, is that being able to just take everything and put it online, um, you know, in uh, legal things. I I I did a couple of of uh, uh, I had to close my my mother's estate uh, during all of this. And what was interesting is I never I never met the lawyer. It was all done through Zoom and holding up my driver's license. Um, you know, they said, "Yep, this is me." You know, uh, and I know that any of the lawyers that that uh, I, I know are de- dealing with we're like, oh, we really hope this stays, you know, <laughs> um, because, you know, I can understand, we went through it much, much faster than sitting around chatting uh, in their offices. All, all we want is their signature and make sure the thing's gonna close. Um, so it was, yeah, so those kinds of things, there's, there has been some, there's definitely been some innovation that make life a little bit easier here, you know, but there's also, you know, um, uh, I know for our courses, for instance, at this college, where we're so known for experiential work, it makes it just a little bit more difficult to lose that social element and that interactive element um, to create those experiences. You know, we're not an academic. Uh, uh, we're not an academic college. You have African academics, but you know, it's really an experiential, spiritual experiential place.
2: Some of them are like multidimensional. you you know, you're, you're incorporating all of your senses, you're incorporating uh, much more than, than just the information you're applying it. And it's harder to do on screen,
1: right? Oh, it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, uh, but at the same time, you know, Zoom was, you know, sort of right at the right time in the right place when you could have multi people on the same screen, you know, all all interacting at the same time, um, which we didn't have, you know, through Skype, for instance. That's just one-on-one, you know, where some of the other uh, um, you know, uh, platforms yeah, I know also then Microsoft and Google jumped on board and created, you know, created platforms as well with uh, uh, Microsoft Teams and Google Meets. Uh, but I haven't I'm not that familiar with them. I just think that Zoom was certainly in the right place at the right time that that worked well. Um, Not free, uh, but, you know, uh, it's really, you know, license by license. Stephen Moore said that some of the main lessons of this pandemic are that early warning is not enough. Political will and leadership, clear and consistent communications based on the best and often evolving scientific evidence and the rapid implementation of public health measures may make the difference between a runaway pandemic in a manageable outbreak, you know, and I think that's boy, you know what? What got in the way, uh, whether it's in Canada, whether it's in America, was leadership dragging their ass. Nobody jumped on, Nobody jumped on it. Nothing, uh, and there's just such a delay in so many areas. So, where does that leave us? You know what? This is this is my personal my personal beliefs. You know, I believe that we are in an existential crisis and that we won't come out of this until we move down to even our most basic understanding like, who are we as human beings? Our values continue to be tied to material goods, acquisitions, and money. Wealth cannot be the reason that we humans are who we are. I've said this before that we are not the fastest, the strongest, the biggest, or the smartest on this planet, but We learned that by connecting to each other, caring and looking out for each other, we survived the dinosaurs, the jungles, disease and famines. Our world is divisive. It is the shadow of our worst traits. We need leaders who can lead and not be looking over their shoulder and lying to hold prestige jobs and titles. Respect is earned. Most have done little to be respected. I really think that we're in a very much in an existential crisis right now, you know. So uh, I don't know, is there anything you want to add? We're coming up to the end, I'm seeing by the little clock on the wall.
2: (laughs) Well said, Gord. It definitely is about an existential crisis. You know, this is our opportunity to embrace what we've learned and then to move forward in positive ways. Right. We just have to take it we, yeah. you just have to take take that opportunity too
1: well exactly exactly I think that maybe we need new leaders <laughs> you <Maybe>. know <laughs> and um you know although as i said at the very top of the broadcast that you know uh I was very moved by by the the strength of, of mr biden and mm-hmm. uh, what he said today and it's it's one year to the day but still you know it's still uh he said it and uh he named he didn't name it but he may as well have uh i think he did a great job you know i wish i had seen uh uh, miss harris so uh we will be back here next week and uh at eight o'clock for those who are uh, celebrating in orthodox christianity tomorrow is your christmas day so uh, i wish you a very merry christmas and uh I will be waiting for it to tomorrow when it's over, then I can finally take my Christmas tree down. I always wait to the end of Orthodox Christmas. So just in case there's another turkey coming my way. Um, <laughs> but uh, so Linda, thank you for being here. Thank
2: you. Merry Christmas, everyone.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. You celebrated that with your dad.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: and hopefully uh, uh, LSE will be joining us again next week. If not, uh, I will be back here 8 p.m. every Thursday. This is Things Worth Considering. I'm Gord Riddell. Have a great week and stay well.
0: Thank you for tuning into Things Worth Considering. Please join your hosts, Alexia Georgiousis and Gord Riddell, for another edition next Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, think about the connections in your life and how they define who you are.